Hey, what's up, y'all, and welcome to the Schooner Pod. This is your host for this week, Jameson Maxwell, and I'm joined with every week, Ty. And then as a co-host today, Bobby's on the road to Austin spring game week to spend the week in Longhornville. Um, is there any explanation that he can keep his Sooner card after this, Ty? No, I I don't I don't see a uh, a justifiable anyone who doesn't attend the spring game should automatically have their Sooner <laughs> card revoked. Okay, for the record, it is for an OU wedding, so that that should help offset a little bit of it. So I I don't think he can be too hard on me, but I get it. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll be holding it down like right in the, the heart of Texas, uh, doing our best for sure. But um, yeah, Jameson is hosting because I'm in a car and that's a bad idea to probably post while in a car. So I'm just going to give as much points as I can as the thing progresses before Jameson inevitably kicks me out for having horrible service. Yeah, I have the power here. So if we ever feel like he's being horrible sound quality, um, sometimes it sounds a little bit different on y'all's end than ours. Um, I'll just kick him out. But let's kind of talk about the spring game because obviously this is exciting. And, you know, it may not be as exciting as the Lincoln-Riley spring game eras. You know, the recruiting aspect might not be as fun. You know, they the halftime, you know, music shenanigans of some honky-tonk with donkey-donk might not be as fun. Um, but they're trying to do a little bit to make it fun. And one thing that hit us hard, especially for me, who can't attend this spring game because I'm going to one of my best friend's bachelor party, is – they're doing a hot dog eating competition. And I figure, I don't know, is this going to be like a halftime or like in front of like the stadium? Because this was like the calling card for me that I've been like wanting to do forever. Like I was the one who suggested Bobby and Ty eat the glizzies as punishment for losing the uh, college football pick last year and eating speed dogs. And now OU football legitimately is putting it on the big stage. And I can't be there. You don't understand how angry and sick I am that I have to miss that. Because there is there any world where the OU application process, because there's an application for it. If you want to go fill it out, go look for it on like Soonersports.com. And it asks about like why you should be picked. I am a eating champion in the past of chicken nuggets. And I've in the past, also ate very fast hot dogs, and I'm a student. Like, come on, they would have picked me, right? I mean, the odds of you or Ty or uh, probably less likely me getting selected would have been very high, uh, n- not just because of our, you know, the podcast, but our, our experience with the uh, with, with with the sausage uh, contest. You know, we we we've been we've been big on the on the on the glitzy goblin. We are we have proof. Certified glizzy gladiators over here, man. I'm pissed about it. I'm sad about it because it's going to be in front of everyone. And it would have been so that- funny. And can you imagine, like, Ty? Remember Ty's videos of eating them fast? like, all right, I just microwaved this dog, and I'm just going to enjoy a hot dog on video for a bit. <laughs> I definitely would have done the uh, slow enjoyment of just a single hot dog uh, in the middle of the competition, yeah. I was I, reading I the comments. I'm sure yeah. it's for mustard, no water, all of that. Yeah, I was yeah. reading the comments in um because I knew there was gonna be golden comments on the Twitter post for it. And it was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna like sign up for that and I can just get free lunch at the spring game. That's gonna be great. And I'm like, okay, please don't say this joke. Please. Like this is gonna be so overdone in the Gooner chat of uh Twitter comments. 
I would uh I would actually love for it to hilariously just flop and turn into just whoever they select is out there just eating, you know, hot dogs normally and just slowly. Oh, please don't. That would hurt so bad. Like the competitive angle in me, just thinking I've always wanted to do like an eating competition on a big stage, whether that be, you know, like like an arts festival or, you know, like some kind of like, you know, the medieval festival, if they ever did one, I would love to do like a, a turkey leg eating competition. I've always wanted to do that. And in front of like an OU crowd and hot dogs is like my like specialty because I've been practicing for multiple years now. Like, oh, man. Okay, I really hope that it is a spectacle and it will be really fun. And we'll need our first correspondent on the scene, Ty, to tell us how it is. For sure. I will uh, immediately report back on who the uh, reigning throat goat of the spring game is. <laughs> oh, my God. Yo, yeah, no, we, we, we might need you to film it just so we, we know for prosperity so we can verify, certify the results of whoever the throat goat is. Yeah, if they are not dunking their buns in water, I'm going to actually be angry. There's going to be very angry messages for me. But moving on, other fun things that we got going on for the spring game. You know, the biggest thing that everyone's talking about, obviously, is the Baker Mayfield Heisman statue. And I kind of want to bounce some things off y'all. Um, Baker Mayfield, at an extremely awkward point in his career, um, very negative sentiment around him nationally. You know, OU people will always hold a special part in their heart for him. But even, you know, OU fans that are realistic realize, like, his professional skill set is very questionable. And I don't know if he's a starting quarterback in the NFL, and we don't know where he's going to end up past his tenure in Cleveland. Um, there's very few quarterback opening spots for him to start. And here he comes, and we're celebrating him in the statue ceremony. I think it's going to be very, like, you know, very emotional and it'll be very good for Baker to have this positive experience. But I still think there might be a little bit of awkwardness just because of his uncertainty in his career right now. I mean, maybe. I I would hope that everyone can recognize what Baker meant to you in this career and just kind of forget about the Brown stuff for a while. And it might be good for him to kind of get that refresher, to remember who he was, to remember what he can be. Um, and to, you know, kind of be outside of, that negative, you know, pressure cooker that is Cleveland, um, you know, so that might be able to help him out a little bit, you know, a, a nice way to hit the refresh button. Um, but for me, what I'm interested in is how awkward the Lincoln Riley thing will be with him. Uh, if there are any extra questions about that, we'll talk about that one next for sure. But uh, Ty, you're, you're uh, number one NFL uh, sooner right now. What, what do you think about all that? Yeah, I think honestly, um, outside of just his his sort of mental state or whatever i think that this sort of statue unveiling and and the the pomp and circumstance of just sort of a a moment uh not the whole weekend but a moment to celebrate baker mayfield i think it's exactly what he needs right now not just for his mental state but you know get it in the press because it's going to be mentioned you know on the on the talk shows here here we are talking about it we're not the professional media you could tell because we're not fake but, uh, you know, we, we're here talking about it, and it'll be mentioned on, on all the sports networks and, and everywhere else. And it's going to be good just to get some positive, you know, talking points out there uh, for his sake and for his, his brand because, like we talked about, you know, he's, he's on the market right now, and he's, he's shopping around, and he's uh, looking for his, his best place to go to. I think it's Tampa Bay to sit around for a year. 
mm -hmm. and uh, actually learn, which I, I made a big argument about uh, right when he was first being drafted is I, I really wish he would have some time to sit behind um, some other quarterback. And I think that really would have helped him. So, you know, I don't think it's too late for that. So, but I, I think ultimately, like you guys said, good for, for him and his mental state, I bet. And uh, I think it's good for his brand as well. So I think the timing, while it could seem awkward, uh, I think it couldn't be better actually. Yeah, I agree. And you know, um, we know better than ever that uh, Baker Mayfield is a very emotional person, obviously. Um, but he takes things to heart. Uh, we've seen it, you know, how he reacts to criticisms and trash talking, you know, for example, in the Kansas game. Uh, he is very vocal about this. And it lets, he lets it get to him. And he uses it as, you know, a chip on his shoulder. But after all of this on a national scale – no matter how strong you are, no matter how much negative you can turn into a positive, that chip's going to turn into a boulder on your shoulder, and it's going to start hurting his back. And I think this positive is going to really help him because you could even see in that recent podcast, I forget who it was with, where he's sitting on his white couch with that golden retriever good boy on his back in the corner, if y'all know what I'm talking it was, about. It was, it was Mike Studd. It was Mike Studd. Yeah. Yes, 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 it was Mike Studd. And the golden retriever or whatever was just sitting on his back or her back. And just like just looking for some scritches or just just having a great time. But you could tell like he was he was great, like feeling great to have a voice to kind of speak against all of these negative connotations about him because it's just been constantly just hammering him. And especially in today's day and age with Twitter, um, it's just unrelenting and unending. And I will also say it was it was really good to hear him have fun. And you know, he sounded he truly sounded happy or mm -hmm. happier. You know, just you know, kicking with the boys, kicking with Mike Sutt down in Austin. So, Ty, I'm sorry, I cut you off there. Go ahead. What were you going to say? No, I was going to say uh, it's actually just came to mind while while you guys were talking. I think it's interesting uh, the the Baker Mayfield saga currently uh, because as as we've just heard from a former uh, not very well liked Oklahoma player about sort of the the environment and the fan and maybe even media environment in Oklahoma being quote unquote toxic. But then you have, you know, Baker Mayfield, who obviously was very successful at OU, but then experiencing what what the national media is at, at the NFL level and how quickly those those storylines can turn. And it's it's almost even reminiscent of of say Russell Westbrook, who, you know, enjoyed his his golden time at, at Oklahoma, where it was a much safer, you know, local media environment before that that fiasco in uh in LA that uh, we're still seeing some of as well. So it is uh, it's sort of interesting to, to put in perspective, you know, if we have any potential recruits out there listening, uh, the OU environment is not, in fact, toxic. It's it's perhaps a better environment and a bit of a, a safety wheels or training wheels on environment in terms of uh, media relations for people. Yeah, I have a nit to pick about that Bleacher Report headline from saying toxic with Spencer Spencer Rattler, like the OU situation was toxic. Well, yeah, it was toxic. But whenever you read that headline that Bleacher Report put out, you start to think, oh, it was a Lincoln Riley thing and they didn't have the locker room and there's all these things. That could be the case. We don't know too much about that. But what it was is Spencer Rattler pretty much talking about how his fans gave up on him and booed him. You know, like that was why it was toxic. The Heisman favorite in the preseason coming in, not losing any games and was getting booed by his own fans. And albeit that was a small amount of fans, but any kind of boo is very noticeable whenever it's from your home, 
field. And I, I felt like it was a very, you know, classic journalism spinning it that it kind of pissed me off that yes there's absolutely a strong chance that there were some locker room things we heard some things like Lincoln Riley never even addressed the coaching rumors um during the season which made things really awkward we've heard stuff like that but the Spencer Rattler comment of course it was toxic like come on he was booed that's why it was toxic yeah and we we talked about it mid-season of like uh, how we kind of thought it was too far. We thought it was not the right move to boo him. Um, and, you know, frankly, I'll, I'll put it this way. The Lincoln Riley decision to put Caleb Williams out there was the right decision. Absolutely, 100%. But I feel like as a whole, the reason why is because he could he was more dynamic. He could, he could bail out his uh, what, what truly was an awful offensive mind uh, in ways that Spencer Rattler could not. Um you know, he just didn't, he wanted to have the poise in the pocket to say, and to just couldn't escape. So, yeah, I mean, it was, it was a toxic situation. It was unfortunate. And I, I, I can understand how we could give blame to Lincoln for, you know, kind of validating a bunch of drunk OU students um, by putting them in there, but it won the game. So you can't, can't, can't complain too much. Yeah. Not to, as, as we start to roll into the spring game itself, not to rehash, you know, old things, but there, there have been plenty of, of OU players that have performed much worse uh, that have never been booed by, by the OU crowd. And I think it's, it's well known by now that the most of the boos and, and the chanting all originated from the student section. And as a student at the time, uh, I can 100% tell you that it had to do with, with the individual and his sort of behavior and, and actions and demeanor uh, a lot more than it did the the performance on the field. He was one of those guys that even had he been winning, you know, wouldn't have been very popular. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we need, I, to, I we need to bring, we need to bring, uh, we need to bring Kendall Roy in here to detoxify the environment. Man, we keep bringing up succession um, things. Bobby's sitting there with the, it's with the sunnies in the back. It's been a couple months. <laughs> hey, Bobby's got a driver right now. He's just riding right now all the way. Um, but like, yeah, let's, let's move on to spring game. Cause this is what it's about. This is what we're talking about this podcast, and I thought it would be pretty valuable um, and also bring some good talking points is just go through the depth chart and kind of say projected one and two and just kind of get an idea of who these players are that we've gotten that are new and kind of where they're playing and kind of refresh our brains because we know we follow OU very closely, but sometimes it helps just to put things out and put all of the front, you know, you know, starting 11 on each side to the front of our brains. So let's just start off with the quarterback position. And we all know that QB1 is Dylan Gabriel. There's not even a conversation about it. Obviously, there would have been bigger changes if we would have accepted more transfers, but it seems like um, Dylan Gabriel is our guy, and he's commanding um, respect in practice, handles pressure extremely well, um, makes the throws. He might not be the versatile playmaker that we had seen in Caleb Williams, but he is a guy who understands the offense, is a clear leader, and can make it. But, you know, I think the most interesting thing in the spring game, you know, Dylan Gabriel will be fun to watch, but will he, how much will he play? But to be honest with y'all, I get excited about the young guys when it comes down to the spring game, and I'm excited about seeing, like, Nick Evers, you know, the freshman quarterback that we got from Flower Mound, to see is this a guy that – is he just a stopgap backup quarterback for the next four years for us? Or is this a guy that we could actually think about having some potential to playing, you know, a redshirt junior year 
um, whenever we need them, if we miss on a quarterback in the future recruiting cycles. Yeah, no, and the backup, especially at the quarterback position, the backup's always more interesting. Um, unless you have a transfer situation like the Jalen Hurts here or this year with Dylan Gabriel. Um, but yeah, no, Evers, I'm excited to see what he has. I, I, I've heard plenty of things about how he has a lot of development left to go, that sort of stuff. But I, I don't know. I, I want to see what the kid has. Because um, normally, you know, in a, in a normal recruiting cycle, you hear about the kid over and over and over again, kind of like Rabbler or Caleb Williams. Um, but with Evers, he, he, we, we've just now gotten into knowing the guy since, like, what, December? So um, that kind of adds an element to it. I'm excited to see what he has. Excited to watch some more of it. So, um, yeah, no, I, I, I'm all in on Evers. Yeah, I think it's I, I think it's important at, at at a quarterback position, especially. I think it's always important where you have a a firm number one guy. Uh, you don't want that sort of battle, but you can't have a "we're screwed if we have to put this guy in" type quarterback at the level that OU is expected to and expecting to play at. You just cannot have a guy that is going to struggle. So I, I think it's is great that we have a quarterback coming in with some experience and a quarterback coming in with some really uh, great resume experience with our incoming offensive coordinator. I think that is really solid. And I think that that will do us well. And I hope that that will allow our guys to develop specifically ever like we talked about. And then anyone else that comes in, especially. It does concern me that Dylan Gabriel had some some injury issues before. His bones are not strong enough to play even a group of five football, as we've seen. So it concerns me that uh, he could have some issues playing power five football, as he's known to be a little weak-boned. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, obviously we're going to talk about um, Ralph Rucker, too. We'll see a lot of him. We're going to probably see four deep at the skill um, position like quarterback. Um, so we're really uh, excited to see a guy like Ralph Rucker, a guy that got a lot of positive reviews as a true freshman, as a walk-on last year. So it'll be cool to see how he does. Um, but overall, quarterback position, usually you don't see much with the blue jersey. They can't get touched. Um, it's more so the other guys. And running back, I feel like, is a huge position that we need to look for um moving forward and Eric Gray as a senior should be the RB one on this team, but we have a lot of weapons and Marcus major Ty's favorite running back. This is his time to shine. He can be RB two. It can be a, being an RB two and O's offense is extremely valuable spot to have, especially losing Kennedy Brooks, a guy that played a non-traditional OU running back that would like take a lot of carries. And then also probably the name that most fans are excited the most about this incoming recruiting class slash new players is Javante Barnes out of Las Vegas. The, 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 well, but people are talking about what they've seen from him in practice um, in this brief time in the spring. This guy is a crazy athlete, 40 plus inch vertical, extremely fast, and just seems like he's got that it factor when running the ball that just, he can make plays. So this guy is getting rave reviews early, and obviously everyone gets rave reviews in the spring, but he seems to be the guy that I feel like 
these, you know, message boards and Twitter is talking about the most. So I think running back by far is the most exciting room to watch in the spring game. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm excited to see where DeMarco takes this, um, this room. And, you know, I mean, what, this is what year two, uh, year three, maybe of, of, of Murray's room. And this is really like his guy, um, you know, obviously heavily involved in recruiting. He's a Vegas guy, just like DeMarco. So, I, I mean, that's going to be really exciting. It's hard to gauge running backs in spring practice because, or it's pretty good just because of how contact is. But um, I don't know. I'm excited. Yeah, like Bobby said, um, this is one of the ones I, I feel like out of all things, as we're going to very quickly get into receivers is maybe the one thing where you can sort of gleam some information. Running backs, much like quarterbacks, uh, it's hard to tell, but Eric Gray has to be a firm RB1 for us this year. I, I think, honestly, regardless of performance, uh, he will be no matter what. So I hope he performs as a true RB1 because I think he's going to be the RB1 no matter what, uh, which is not a great situation. But if you follow advanced analytics, uh, you you do know that running backs maybe don't matter uh, as much as people think that they would, especially as a skill position. Um I completely lost my train of thought there. Uh, Mims, this has got to be his breakout year, and I feel like he's had so many – well, he has had so many chances, uh, and I feel like he's always been on the cusp and just always had stuff. He's obviously had so – Are we talking about Major or Mims here? Oh, Major, yeah. Okay, gotcha. (laughs) I was going to say your favorite guy, Marcus Major. I figured you are going to go on this one. Yeah, no, Marcus Major, uh, like I said, he's had all these opportunities to – to jump and we've just never seen it on the field. And then we've seen some issues off the field as well. So it really, I know he has two more years, but if, if he doesn't impress this year, I can't imagine that he even remains on the team uh, for next well, year. I would, so I would also like to note with major, you know, we've, we've obviously made a couple jokes here and there about his off the field issues with academics, but uh, it seems like it turned around. He got an academic achievement, like, Kind of shout out on Twitter. So he's doing well. He's doing well. He's, he's back on the right track. I really hope it's not that Texas football academic achievement award where they talk about their two point, whatever GPA or whatever it was. Was highest it 2.8? Yeah. Highest Texas uh, GPA. In his- oh, well, Ugh, you know what? At yeah. least, at least those are some C's and some B's. So that's good. That, that'll get you degrees. So that's just a, okay. But yeah. Um, I agree. Uh, Marcus Major has got a lot to prove this season and is in a stellar position to be. Let's kind of talk about wide receivers too. Uh, Ty wanted to hop in and talk about Marvin Mims, but there's a lot of wide receivers. Uh, just naming, say, like, you know, the top 10-ish, you know, think about Marvin Mims as a wide receiver one, even though we talked about all last season, does this team truly have a guy that can take over and be a wide receiver one that can get 10 catches and dominate and be target heavy? I don't know if we have that. Theo Weiss could be that guy um, coming off injury. You know, we saw it with his um, recurrent foot injury that he hurt twice. Um, we'll see how he returns in form or if he will have, um, you know, some setbacks like he had last season, hopefully not. And maybe he might not be the same guy he was whenever he came into college. I'm just going down the list. I think Drake Stoops is probably number three. Um, then a Jalil Farouk, a guy that a lot of people are talking big about um, around number four. Um, then you talk about Trayvon West and Brian Darby. 
um, that five, six range that got a lot of run in the, that kind of area last year, Trayvon West had some big plays. Brian Darby had some good catches and then some of the young guys, um, you know, uh, retro freshman, Cody Jackson, um, see if he can make a name. And then the big tall wide receivers that we got in this recruiting class and Nick Anderson being Rodney Anderson's brother. And then Jaden Gibson, six foot five out of Florida that a lot of people are talking about that. This guy just looks like a, like a, another, you know, beast on, on the field. Like he looks obviously different than the people around him. That's how long and linky and athletic he looks. He just has to kind of polish some of these football things. Um, but he's going to have some plays probably just a small amount this season and hope maybe in the spring game or you're going to say, wow, I, I see something there. He's not there yet, but he definitely has something. The guy I'm personally circling uh, for me, and I'm, I'm a sucker for these momentum type of guys, but it's uh, Jaleel Farouk. Um, I, I feel like you kind of know what you got with Mims. You know what you got with like a bit of a healthy, you know, Weiss. But Jaleel Farouk, we saw a lot of really good stuff in that Alamo Bowl. And um, he's the type of guy who I could see, you know, being a pretty solid playmaker for us. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing some of the highlights and some of the uh, – what, what he could put on um, just in terms of his progression. Because we didn't see a ton of him uh, last fall under Lincoln Riley. For sure. I, I think I'm going to go ahead and – who knows what the spring game I, – I really don't think that the spring game is a super great gauge for – for the season. So I'm going to dip into a little bit of way too early cold takes for the season. I feel Weiss and his entire receiver class that he came in with, with Hazelwood and then, and then Bridges, that has been the most cursed sort of position group that has ever graced uh, OU's campus and fields. They really came in with so much hype. Like people were talking about having a, four OU players at the Heisman ceremony, our quarterback, and then those three receivers. And there has just never been anything close to the hype that has come in. So I'm, I'm not a big fan. I'm going to say right now that I expect he is not even a first string or a first string quarterback for us, but receiver as we go into the season. I really think this is Mims's year to be our wide receiver one. If we run an offense that really focuses on that, who knows? And, Drake Stoops, again, always up there. And at this point, I think he has so much staying power and he's building such a resume. He could be a firm one or two for sure at OU. And at at the trajectory he's on right now, I wouldn't be surprised if he actually went to the NFL, whether he would play or or what there, who knows. But he has just been propelled uh, by his own work work ethic and then just the underperformance of uh, expected superstars around him. I'll give a second shout out again. To, uh, to Nick Anderson, but I really feel like our top three, top four receivers this year are going to be Mims, Stoops, and then a freshman or two. Yeah, I think I got- Farouk could definitely step on and take that role from Theo Weiss. Um, but if Theo Weiss is playing any of how he was looking early that freshman year, we all remember you know, that, that juke that he had in the Baylor game, and he was starting to really come on. Um, that's his position to have and with three in a three wide receiver set um, for sure. I, I would like to buy a lot of Jalil Farouk um, stock, um, but he's got to rise up the ladder because Theo Weiss is going to be hard to beat. Yeah, he's just kind of too trendy of a stock right now. Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely uh, would be a would be one of those you buy low on. Um, probably you probably waited too long if you're if you're buying now at this point. Yeah. so I, I think that's fair. Yeah, okay, let's kind of briefly talk about the tight end room because the tight end room is kind of a little bit awkward 
Um, you know, losing Jeremiah Hall from the halfback position, if you want to group that in there, um, be a big hit. But, you know, his podcasting counterpart and Braden Willis, this is his senior year. We're hoping for him to take a big jump because I feel like um, as of recently, uh, we've been saying we wanted to see a big jump from him. We saw the athleticism of him coming in as a wide receiver from high school um, and play a little bit in that H-back position. But last year, I was kind of disappointed with his play. I feel like he could have done a lot better. Um, but maybe that's just because Caleb Williams was not a tight end throwing quarterback. And we need to kind of see, is Dylan Gabriel a tight end kind of guy? We've seen the highlights that OU Twitter has posted. Uh, you know, a great throw that he threw to him in the end zone. Um, so maybe he's a guy that likes to um, target his tight end more rather than look to the outside. Um, other names at the tight end position, uh, Daniel Parker, the transfer from uh, Missouri. He's a strong blocking tight end, but does definitely has the hands to catch, um, just to keep an eye out as that is a new face. And then um, Jason Llewellyn from Alito will probably another number three. Um, he's going to take a little while to get in, you know, to serious rotation, but is a guy that the coaching staff feels very confident in as a guy who can be a big body, can block and receive, do everything kind of tight end. Um, exactly what you want in football, because I feel like a lot of tight ends nowadays are either you're a receiving tight end, you know, like an Evan Ingram of the Giants, you can only receive, just doesn't block, or you're just a pure blocker that just really can't do much. But if you can do both, you're extremely valuable, especially, and that's why NFL plays big bucks to guys that can do that. Yeah. And you know, Joe John's all about that, that, uh, that blocking, that hybrid type of, um, type of tight end for sure. Uh, so I, I think Llewellyn, like, I'm excited about him. I think he's about a, probably about a year away from, you know, making an impact for sure just because of, you know, Braden Willis, et cetera. Um, but, yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited to see how how Levy operates this. Uh, especially – I could see him favoring tight ends. Maybe just – this could just be a dumb assumption. But just because, you know, he was an off, offensive lineman himself, uh, my – be a type of guy who shows love to the big guys but we'll see how it goes um i will say uh, with willis obviously you can only you can't tell uh how good a team is going to be based on uh the highlights from spring practice but that two that two foot touch that they dropped today looked pretty damn good i will say yeah i so it's i think it's kind of been the the Braden Willis show, and that's sort of the expectation because he's he's staying. But I think it is very clearly, and I think we'll see it when the the first team for now trots out onto the field for for the game. I think Daniel Parker is the clear uh, main guy. He's a senior. He would not have transferred to OU to sit on the bench. He made his decision to transfer after Venables came in. So I I think it speaks to his confidence that he will be the main guy in the main show here under Levy. He's coming from Missouri, like we talked about, primary a, a blocking type guy but can catch. But that's how they're mostly used successfully in the NFL, and that's how they're mostly used successfully in the SEC as well, where he's coming from and where our OC Levy is coming from. So I think Daniel Parker is, you know, expected to be pretty decent by everyone, but I think a lot of people have a sort of familiarity bias. Wow, that was hard to say for Braden Willis and sort of a he's our guy. We want him to to do well, but Daniel Parker is our guy now as well. And I think that he, in my opinion, is is going to be the main dude. And I think we're going to start to see some differences in 
the offense because I feel like a lot of OU fans are still looking at these personnel and even these new coaching personnel within a sort of Lincoln Riley or even Bob Stoops-esque scheme. And I think we're going to see something very different from even Bob Stoops. I know Venables is coming from sort of the Stoops era or, or the Stoops tree at OU, but I think we're going to see something much more akin to maybe early 2000s OU or, or what we see as the more dominant teams nationally now or even a more pro style. And I think Daniel Parker fits that offense much better. I, I think, you know, it's it comes down to do you look at a tight end as a receiver who also was big enough to be on the line of blocks or a lineman who every now and then can can go down and catch something here and there and i think depending on how you look at the tight end position or what you think the best use of the tight end position is going to be which one of those two guys you are expecting or hoping is going to be our main guy so it'll be interesting to see for sure i think this is one of the more interesting what ifs right now yeah, Jeff Levy loves establishing the run. We've seen that plenty at Ole Miss. Um, and Daniel Parker is going to be his best friend. There's obviously a reason why um, Daniel Parker jumped into the OU boat from the transfer portal extremely quickly. This guy had seen Jeff Levy, you know, in the SEC, and they'd seen each other. And obviously, it was just a match. Um, so yeah, I don't. I would not be surprised at all. If Daniel Parker gets an ext- like a good amount of snaps, and maybe the tight end. Uh, who gets the most snaps might not be your tight end one because uh, Braden Willis probably will be because he's going to get the most you know hype on camera. But Daniel Parker is going to be out on the field a lot. Um, moving on to the big guys, uh, kind of projected uh, first uh, string offensive lineman that they're running right now in spring. Uh, left tackle would be Anton Harrison. We've seen a lot of him in the past years now being a junior with two years under his belt as kind of an off and on starter the past two years. Um, at the left guard, McCabe Matower uh, from UCLA. It looks to be uh, – no, from Cal, right, from Cal. Um, UCLA is our right guard, Chris Murray. Um, and then center is a huge uh, you know, toss-up. Andrew Rame has been out with an ankle injury and is just now returning to practice. And Robert Conjol has had a concussion, and I think he's just back now. Um, so that seems to be a toss-up between the two. I would I would guess that Conjol is going to have the the – starting role there because of Andrew Rehm with that injury, plus that he had an injury to end the year last year. So it seems like he hasn't been able to stay healthy as of recently. And then at the right tackle, uh, Wanya Morris, a guy that we thought was going to be that right tackle last year at a position that with Tyrese Robinson moving out from right guard to right tackle, I was not happy with. Um, There was a lot of deficiencies on our right side because of um, um, Tyrese's shorter arms. And Wanya wasn't able to really grasp the beat and bow offense but it seems like he's getting it now. A lot of offensive linemen have troubles getting a hold of Beatembo's scheme, but it seems like Wanye, with him being the number one right tackle in this offense, is starting to get it. So um, not really much to see um, in terms of watching the spring game of offensive linemen, but let me just kind of talk about the backups too. I know I'm kind of talking a lot here just to kind of get an idea of who would be the other guys at those positions. Um, back up. At uh, left tackle, I think would be Savion Bird, the freshman out of Denton. And then right tackle, I think, is Aaron Parks um, out of the East Coast. He'd be a sophomore now. Um, at the guard positions, uh, Bray Walker, who now be a senior, um, put his name into the transfer portal and is now out. Uh, he should be playing at the guard position. 
Um, and then kind of, you know, at the other guard, it's going to be a mixed bag. If you see, you might see like a Marcus Alexander, you might see a Marcus Hicks, a guy converted defensive lineman. Um, and then at the center position, we'll kind of talk about Andrew Raymond Conchal, but allegedly there's a walk on um, Kyle Ergen, right? That has been playing really well as those two are um, out. So he might be kind of an Ian Giver of the past that um, got a lot of play time, even though we hadn't heard of him much until he was a, later in his year senior walk-on yeah there's a long way before we have any idea about this o-line um not much more to talk about but yeah, yeah. I, it's gonna be interesting to see how it folds out i do want to say with with the o-line briefly jameson like you touched on beatenbow's offensive line scheme and and overall game plan and and it's just the way he plays i'm for some reason struggling for words today uh, like you said, it's been notorious. It's been notoriously difficult for guys to, to catch on to. I wonder if we're going to see a positive change in how quickly guys are, are catching on just by the, the locker room culture. I, and, and I'm saying this because I hope that what we've seen from Venable so far and from his staff and changing that locker room culture and then what we've been hearing from the locker room culture under Riley, even when things were going well, out on the field, you know, hopefully maybe there's a little more incentive or a little more buy-in to, to do that extra step off the field, that extra little bit of, of studying and, and whatnot. So hopefully, you know, we might see an impact there. Who knows? I mostly just being a, a homer because like we said, up until that first real snap or that first real time that things go wrong, nothing that your new coach does is, is wrong. So complete buy-in here. Hopefully that complete buy-in from the players is positively reflected in, in their knowledge of the game as well. Well, guys, I, I hate to say it, but uh, I'm going to have to jump off of here soon for two reasons. One, broken Waco and everything just kind of went to hell because, you know, it's Waco. And two, oh. uh, you know, the, our, the passengers in the car with me have been listening to the schooner pod for about 40 minutes, which is a dangerous amount of time to listen to the schooner pod far, far exceeding the dosage. Uh, so, yeah, um, I just want to quick, say a quick thing about the defense. Before I know y'all are about to talk to it, I'll be hanging out backstage. Yeah, it's looking more decimated than I thought it was. I think that's more of a just a natural progression. So uh, it's gonna look pretty green. I think I think uh, whoever has the better, more you know, first team offense type of guys, I, I think they do they do better here. That's just the better side. Uh, even though the defense will probably be a little bit better coached. Um, I'm interested to see it, though. It'll be very fun and uh, very jealous of everybody there. Would have loved to see the Baker statue. Uh, and, you know, let's be honest. We would have been the, we would have won the dog contest by far. Yes, I, I'd there's trained, no doubt. I'd trained, I'd trained in the crucible of, of, losing that, uh, of uh, losing the weekend spread to that. But anyways, I'm out of here. Have a good rest of your show, guys. And uh, for everyone listening, thanks for listening. Hope the internet wasn't too, too, too bad. So, peace. The NBA playoffs means next-level basketball. So get in on the first-round action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets instantly. So you win no matter what. All DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet on NBA hoops with same-game parlays. 
Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you win. Plus, each day of the first round, get a risk-free bet up to $10 if your same-game parlay doesn't hit. So, what are you waiting for? Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app. Now, use promo code TPPN, bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game during the first round of the playoffs, and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TPPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply. See the show notes for details. Yeah, so um, losing Bobby here, uh, but 40 minutes is not that much for y'all, so keep listening because we've got to talk about the defense. We'll talk about um, kind of similar how we went through the offense. So let's let's move forward to the defensive line tie. A defensive yeah, sure. tackle um, and nose tackle um, will be an interesting position for us. You know, using losing Perion Winfrey, uh, who's going to sit in that nose tackle position. Uh, we saw Isaiah Coe, a guy that could possibly step in that might probably be the number one. Or would it Jeffrey Johnson from Tulane, will he play nose tackle or is he going to be more of a defensive tackle? Jordan Kelly is a guy who's a senior now. That it seems like we always hear about some positive things about him as a defensive lineman, but he's never really made a big name for himself. Um, nose guard, I really is the position that I'm concerned about the most um, in terms of our, I guess, our defense as a whole, um, because there's a lot of question marks. Uh, but uh, I mean, are you interested at all in any of those people? I know. I mean, Jeffrey Johnson for Tulane worked us, and he might be fun, but I still don't even know if he's a true nose guard. Yeah, I, I think that uh, Jeffrey Johnson, like you said, I think he is probably our, our go-to guy for the nose tackle. And, and when I look at it, I look at the fact that, one, Venables is a defensive guy through and through. And he came in and, and saw our retained personnel on the defensive side and saw our deficiencies, our, like you said, our big or one of our big deficiencies defensively being nose tackle. And then he went out there and he specifically went after uh, Jeffrey Johnson. So like we said, there's not sort of clarity and, and the spring game won't even give us that clarity because it's still very early in terms of, of this unit coming together as, as a team. So I, I don't know that the spring game is going to be indicative hundred percent of, well, I know it won't be hundred percent indicative of what we see, but I, I think that Venables has through his actions, uh, made it clear that he's looking at at Jeffrey Johnson being our our nose tackle here, being that that was one of the guys that he specifically went out, you know, and and did some recruiting for and, and tried to bring in. And then, like we said, uh, OU fans are are a little bit familiar with him, giving us a hard time last season. So it's uh, you know we did beat them, but if you can beat them, but they're still good, then join them, I guess. Yeah, I, I am excited about the position. I, I believe in Isaac Coe. I feel like he showed some things last year, some little glimpses. And with him being, you know, at the third spot probably on the roster at that position last year, uh, really didn't give him too much shine. So maybe he can show some things. Um, as a defensive tackle, that's probably our most solidified position in, you know, maybe not the whole defense, but definitely the defensive line. Jalen Redmond coming back hopefully coming through this whole season and spring and off season healthy um, and showing that he can be, you know, an NFL draft guy rather than um, just a guy that shows some great things and then just gets hurt for a little bit. You can't do that in the NFL. So this is a huge season for him. 
Uh, I think he could be the star of this defense, um, even though there's more established guys who started longer than him. I think he'd absolutely be a star. He's that talented. Um, behind him, you think of guys like Corey Robertson. You think of guys like Kelvin Gilliam. Uh, you know, you think of, uh, I, I guess that's kind of the top three that come to my mind. Um, do you think Jalen Redmond, I mean, I, this is kind of just, you know, guessing here, but um, if Jalen Redmond was, were to stay healthy this whole season, do you think he could be like one of our best, if not our best defender on this team? Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a big deal. And, and I almost think that that is, is one of the things that you can't even decide by your performance. I, I think that who your best defender on your team is, is almost something that the opposing teams get to decide, uh, which we saw, you know, one thing that really comes to mind is Kenneth Murray in that army game with just an absurd number of tackles, just because army continued to, you know, go where he was at or even, you know, turn the clock back to, to a, a classic schooner pod favorite, like Zach Sanchez uh, as a, as a cornerback and just constantly having targets his way and, and, you know, maybe getting lucky, maybe skill, but he had targets coming his way a lot more than everyone else. So Obviously, on the D line, you you have the potential to be involved in in every play, but I think that if he does continue to be healthy, I think he is in a system that is much more capable of making him look like a number one on the entire defense player, which of course is great for his his future and his stock and his personal brand. So I think. You know, it's a it's a team sport, and and the opposing side has a vote. But I think that there is super strong potential for him to to be mm -hmm. our number one, you know, defensive guy. So, yeah, I agree. I, I really believe a lot of him. I feel like the times that Perry Allen Winfrey looked like a beast is because Jalen Redmond was doing a lot of the dirty work. Um, I really believe in him, and hopefully, he stays healthy. Obviously, his medical issues that he had. Um, some of them were not really sports injuries. So hopefully um, he's good moving forward. Uh, moving into the defensive end position group, um, the most beloved problem, right? not the most beloved, but one of the most beloved um, Sooners on this team is probably going to be the star now of how much people are talking about him is Ethan Downs, the sophomore. He'll probably be one of the defensive ends opposite of Reggie Grimes, a guy that was a big get for us in recruiting three years ago. Um, and you know, was a very high end recruit and is a guy that could have gone to Alabama. Uh, but other guys at defensive end, we got the Hawaii transfer in Jonah Laulu. Also, we have Marcus Stripling as a senior, a guy that showed a lot of flashes and big time leadership. And then also, uh, you know, Clayton Smith, a guy that was a huge get out of Texas in the recruiting cycle two cycles ago. Um, and then Nathan Rollins Kilbong that um, was out of the Northwest area in Oregon. Um, that is just an, an absolute freak of a man and six foot seven is an athlete and can get over that corner and rush the quarterback. Uh, another guy to watch to see if he's making any kind of, you know, like headway or is he going to turn into, you know, the next Joseph Wete that doesn't really do much. Um, but I think Ethan Downs probably might have the most eyes on him. Because so many people love the the guy that, you know, tries hard every single practice, even if it's a very light end drill and brings intensity to every single play. Those guys are valuable and it takes a special person to do that. Yeah, for sure. And there is there is definitely something to be said, and I've said this constantly on on the Schooner Pod for having a guy that 
brings up those around him, maybe even if he's not the best candidate when it comes to just pure stats. Obviously, you know, still looking for a chance to prove himself and still looking for a system that is conducive towards someone being able to prove themselves defensively. I think one of the main things that jumps out to me with this position group is it's pretty much an even split uh, down the board in terms of names we're looking at. We got four underclassmen and four upperclassmen, which is always good to see. You you hate to see situations where where things are really top heavy and a lot of the guys that we're talking about, you know, as potential guys that could have a breakout year. And I think, you know, as we're going to continue to talk about, this is anyone's year on the defense to have a breakout year. There's never been a better time for an OU defensive player to have a breakout year, at least in the past, we'll say 15 years, there hasn't been a better time for an OU defender to have a breakout year. So uh, I really like um, our, our Hawaii transfer, like you mentioned, big Samoan dude has really good stats at, at what we're continuing to find out if you follow sort of the, the drama of college football was maybe not an ideal situation at all, not for him specifically, but just for everyone at that uh, Hawaii program and, and system for the past couple of years. So I'm excited to see what he's going to bring to the table. Cool to see a guy, you know, we have plenty of people from, you know, a lot of the big places, but uh, cool to see a guy from, from Vegas who lived in Hawaii for a little bit too come out here to, uh, to give us a shot as well. So I think it, it really could be anyone's game. You know, we mentioned, I think this was the first position group offense or defense that we've rolled to where we've had to mention pretty much every single name we've, we've, you know, I think we mentioned all three quarterbacks or potential quarterbacks, obviously, but this is the first one where I think top to bottom, anyone really has the potential to to have a standout year, even if they're not a main dude, maybe they just come in and they're not expected to be a, a preferred backup and they get some shots in and, and they're shown to be a real stand up or, or guy that we're going to be able to rely on. So I, I'm so excited about our, our D line as a whole. Yeah, agreed. Defensive ends, it's always nice to have a deep group anyways, because whenever they're getting after the quarterback, if you can get those guys moving on first couple downs and then send in a fresh new pair, like having Ethan Downs motor on one side, then Reggie Grimes skill set. And then if they get gassed, you can take them out and put in like a Laulu and Marcus Stripling, like two very seasoned veteran upperclassmen that you're talking about. That's a tough, tough time to block. If you're an offensive lineman who's on the field whole time that doesn't get subbed out and you're bringing in fresh guys on the defensive line like that, that's going to be tough. But you were talking about breakout players. And I think this is one of the guys that everyone's been talking about as a breakout player at this next position group, the weak side linebacker, um, and that being Danny Stutzman, absolute tackling machine, had an elbow injury last year that kind of, you know, took him out for a couple games, but is able to come back. You just saw that this guy just has that psycho attitude, just will go downhill and just do whatever. He He's just a football junkie, and he's a lot of fun, too. He's very fun on Twitter. Um, this guy could be a tackling machine for us, and it seems like he solidified himself as the best linebacker in a group that we thought that we had some guys that were going to be our linebackers of the future like a Deshaun White who's still here, but it seems like he had some weaknesses that has been taken over by youth. Um, David Uguaybu, great tackler, but can he tackle in the open field and cover? Probably not, but he probably is going to be our number one middle linebacker. Um, other names to keep a look at, we have the two freshman linebackers and Kip Lewis and Kobe McKenzie. And I, I guess the third one that I don't want to forget, I guess he plays more of that that. S linebacker that they're calling now is Jaron Kanick, also from, from Kansas. We got a lot of fun young linebackers. And kind of, I guess we can move on to this S linebacker position. 
uh, Shane Witter, um, a guy that has shown some flashes on special team and some in the season last year. But this is one of our fastest guys on our team, and he's a linebacker. Like, he's got the tools to be something special. And at that S linebacker, which is, you know, a little bit not as central as the weak side in the middle linebacker, maybe he'll be able to show his speed and his athleticism and kind of have some more flashes this year as he is a junior. Yeah, I, the the big the big guy, you know, that, that everyone I think has been looking forward to on, on the defense, like we just mentioned, is, is hands down, in my opinion, Danny Sutzman. Uh, just huge personality. He is super, super loved within the locker room, and he has been a, a guy that has been loved in the locker room on both sides of the ball since before he was playing. Uh, the, the players really 4-0-U and their interactions with him and, and they talking about him as really what brought his name forward before anyone in the media ever reported on anything he was doing on the field. And then he brings in that on the field, you know, we've yet to see it sort of real world yet, but that on the field pedigree and ability as well now is, is starting to come together. And it just being a, a, a very smart a linebacker at, at this point in, in this era of college football is very much a, a skill position. And it's, it's becoming a very, very difficult, very skill intensive position, not just physically, but also mentally uh, much like the, the defensive backs, you know, out there are having to do. And, and he's just having a, a little bit more time to develop physically and, and mentally and game plan was, I think he is really going to be a, a big breakout guy. I wouldn't be surprised if he was considered one of the big, you know, main OU players on, on both sides of the ball. And it's been a long time since OU has had a, a defender who we can really say has been like, Oh, one of the main guys. And, and I, I sort of almost want to cut myself off here because I don't want to jinx him, but I think by far, you know, there's tons of names here, but I, I think it, it cannot be said enough. Keep your eyes on Danny Stutzman and, and sort of, you know, to use the stock market analogy again, it's, it's, you know, if you wanted to be early on, on buying into the Danny Stutzman hype, you're about a year late because there was a lot of really early investors, but I would get in on that now uh, before the season, because I expect that we're going to see great things out of him. And he's one of those guys, you know, that brings up the performance of those around him as well. So super excited to, to see him come out here and play. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It seems like he's kind of taken over as the best linebacker in this group in terms of spring ball, what the message boards are saying. You know, this is a game that everyone loves and he's got, you know, the potential to be a, a big time tackler you can stat um you know stuff the stat sheet and then everyone loves him off the field honestly that's the recipe that's what you want uh, but the linebacker absolutely might be the most scary group for me i feel like there's still some weaknesses you know depending on danny stutzman a guy that was you know a hurt during his freshman year and now is coming in as a sophomore um even though we believe highly in him there's not as much depth that we have as the defensive line um so i'm a little bit nervous about the linebackers but to be honest with you um, you know, if you're going to have weaknesses on those three levels, the linebackers are the probably one that you would choose, um, because there's a lot less, um, linebackers on the field than there are defensive backs. Let's kind of hop in. We'll hit uh nickelback cornerbacks, and then we'll end with the safeties. Um, at the nickelback position, looking like Justin Broyles stepping into his, um, I think his fifth year, senior year would probably take that position, but, um, I think he's probably gonna have a solid hold on that. Um, other guys that we'd be playing, Nickelback, 
um, look at, you know, a Trey Morrison, one of our transfers, um, and then maybe a Kenai Walker um, transfer from Louisville. But it looks like Kenai Walker has actually been getting run with the ones in spring game. Six foot two mega athlete can turn his hips really, really well. And the coaches seem to adore him as a cornerback. Seems like he is something, maybe a hidden gem at that transfer from Louisville. And seems like he's been taking the number one spot um, from DJ Graham, who's been hurt recently. DJ Graham looks like he's returned to practice in the past couple of days. Should be good to go for the spring game. But Kenai Walker took a spot and then showed out in it. And you know early in the spring, whenever you're hurt for a little bit, it sucks because there's going to give more opportunity to the younger guys to go out and make a name for themselves. And it's going to be harder to fight those guys off because of how much um, legitimacy they showed um, playing against the number one offense as a number one defender. Other number one cornerback would be Woody Washington, um, should be one of the leaders of this team. And then uh, would Jaden Davis be another number one cornerback as well? Um, so we're going to have some depth at the cornerback position. There should be some good um, battles. Other guys to keep an eye on would be CJ Colden. I'm pretty sure he's the Wyoming transfer. Um, and then also Gentry Williams, who we got um, straight out of Tulsa, one of the best recruits in our recruiting class, um, is playing DB. Um, so he might be a fun guy to keep an eye on the spring game. And I guess just other guys, Josh Eaton would be another guy that we've feel like we've been talking about for three years now as a fun guy to watch as a six foot two cornerback, but it's still looking to put the um, pieces together. Ty, what is your kind of thought process on would you like, do you like Woody Washington, DJ Graham and Jane Davis's cornerbacks, or would you kind of be happy to see, you know, a replacement from one of these young guys to overthrow them? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, ultimately it's, it's about winning games. So <laughs> My my there you favorite go. guys. Good, good my favorite guy is my favorite guy is the one that's winning for us, you know. So uh I had two quick spring game specific notes before I dive into a little bit more. Uh do you know is is Colden going to be playing in the spring game? I know he was sort of a, a late transfer in, and I don't think he practiced with the yeah, team that, that's spring, so I don't I don't know that we would see any of him. Yeah, that might be right because I'm just kind of looking at the depth chart. Yeah. I actually haven't heard a lick about CJ Colden at all yeah. in terms and of then, like notes. So I guess not. Yeah, I think he I think he's not coming until the summer. He might be on campus, okay. but I don't think he is practicing with the team uh in the spring for whatever reason. Okay. Cool. Uh and then another guy I didn't hear you mention, you might have him written down somewhere, you're about to bring it up, or maybe you did and I you know, just fell through the cracks, but Trey Morrison from North Carolina. Oh yeah. I, I, I talked about him in Nickelback behind Justin Broyles. Okay. Yeah. But that's, that's one of the big guys that, that jumped out to me just when I was doing my, my sort of preparation for the podcast, I, I went through and, and was looking at all the guys that sort of Venables specifically had sought out and, and obviously being from Clemson or coming from Clemson, he had played UNC several times. Uh, Trey Morrison now a senior, so he's he's played Venables, you know, as much as he's played uh, in the ACC over there at, at UNC, who's been very successful under Mac Brown. Shout out to, to fellow Jordan School UNC. But, uh, yeah, any guy that, that Venables has sort of seen play and, and sought out specifically, uh, I definitely am, am excited to see. So Trey Morrison, very excited to see him. But then, like you you gave me the the prompt, you know, guys like Woody Washington, DJ Graham, sort of the the old names that we've been looking for at OU, and 
and everyone's been expecting, oh, this is going to be their their breakout time. Um, obviously, I hope someone has a, a breakout time. It does. I have. I don't really have an emotional attachment to, to any one of them. I'm sure some mm-hmm. fans do to to specific guys, but I I think we have a ton of potential, a ton of transfers coming in, uh, like you mentioned. So I would love for it to be one of the you know old names that OU fans have heard, but, but ultimately they're all OU players now and, and they're all our guys. So whatever one can perform, I, I do think like I talked about with the D lineman um, and it goes for the linebackers too, even though I didn't mention it then, this is a system that I think is much more conducive to someone on the defense being able to have a, a standout time because it really helps when the entire defense is solid and it's not just, your one star player, you know, Kenneth Murray against Army. Again, your one dude that can perform sort of holding it together. That looks good on you, but also it's not great because you that's not how the, the sport is supposed to be played. And it's a you you know, your back's against the wall when you're playing like that as as a player. It is much better for a defensive guy when when the whole system is working. So who knows? I we are still very early, like we talked about, you know, with with Colton, one of the biggest names. Um, I know for sure he hasn't been practicing in the early spring with the team, and I'm sure our listeners listening to this right now know more than us and are, are screaming at their phones and wondering why they listen to us if we don't know. But uh, a lot still to come together on this team. And, again, the spring game, who knows if it's going to be really indicative of of anything performance-wise. I think the real tea leaves to read into are, are sort of who looks like they're the preferred guys by the coaches you know even if you're sitting in the in the stands or watching on tv with your binoculars or you probably don't need binoculars for watching on tv but just looking at the guys <laughs> who when they come off the field who are the coaches talking to you know because the coaches generally unless they're yelling at someone they're talking to or they're interacting with the the, the main guys so mm-hmm. that's how you can really get some some reads so i would i would sort of try to read in between the lines and, and do some sleuthing for the spring game. I, I think you're going to learn more by seeing who are the coaches interacting with most on the sidelines, who's coming out with what sets. But we don't know if this is going to be, you know, some people do like a solid first team, second team spring game. Some people do, you know, a weird, there's all sorts of, you know, there's no rules for a spring game and we really don't know uh, how this one is going to be. So who knows what we're going to see. I think the first team and the third team are going to be on one team and the second and the fourth, if I remember reading that right. Um, so that kind of really puts the second and fourth team at a disadvantage, which I think I feel like two and three would be better together um, and one and four. Um, but it kind of makes sense because you don't want to give your first team too much run. Um, so you kind of want to have that next step in the third team behind them rather than your fourth team getting a lot of run. Um, but you still want the first team to go against the second team at the beginning of the game. So that's kind of the thought process there. So I think that's how it's going to go. Um, but yeah, I, I agree. I'm not, I'm not really, you know, attached to uh, I'm any of our cornerbacks. I like Woody Washington, but DJ Graham, even though he's made some fun plays and obviously made the catch for his Texas, he got burned a lot at the end of the season last year. Like, like that Oregon game was ugly. Like it was ugly, ugly. And I, I, I don't know. I'd be very happy to see a guy like Kenai Walker come in and ruffle some feathers and be a six foot two cornerback, a guy that we really haven't seen. You know, we talked about all these long guys, now Alex Grinch system. And here we go. He's gone. Um, even though his cornerbacks have been six foot and Woody Washington and five foot 10 and Jaden Davis, um, DJ Graham being six foot, I think as well, six foot one, maybe 
Um, and now we come in a long link quarterback. Can I Walker? He can move his hips. I'm, I'm down. Let's try it. So um, hopefully he gets some good run and we see some good things from him. And then kind of moving on to our last uh, position group being the safeties. Um, we can actually talk about safety depth this year and actually believe in ourselves that we might see something different because Patrick Fields and Delaren Turner-Yale are no longer here. And there's actually a chance that we will see, you know, four deep safeties. And uh, the clear number one and number two are at free safety, we have Key Lawrence. It seems like he has been extremely vocal in spring practice, has been making big-time plays, and seems to be a leader, a guy that everyone looks up to in his second year um, coming from Tennessee um, as a junior. And then Billy Bowman making the move from all over the offense, and it seems like he's found his home at strong safety. and seems like he's doing really well there, and it seems like he's got that job. Other guys to look for at that safety position – Bryson Washington is a name we've been talking about for a while now. I think he's been hurt as of recently, so we'll see how if if he plays in the spring game. Jordan Mukes, we saw a little bit of him to end the year. Um, Oklahoma guy, um, basketball player, a little bit new to football, but long, linky, and athletic. So hopefully he's catching on to the game a little bit more. Damon Harmon, and then Robert Spears Jennings. Um, Robert Spears Jennings being the freshman at Broken Arrow, uh, who ran up the recruiting um, rankings at the end of the recruiting year um, last year because of his speed and his you know knowledge of the game. So maybe we might see some things out of him, but it seems like it feels pretty good to have Key Lawrence stepping into that free safety spot because we saw a lot of good things from him last season. And then Billy Bowman finding a home, and hopefully they don't move him around like they did last year. Yeah, really just not playing on our back foot, you know, is, is going to be a big advantage like you talked about just having some depth you know hopefully not having to move guys around all over you know i, I think we're all counting on the system being much improved or, or much more consistent and i really think consistency is is the key you know not to not to beat the, the dead horse with you know plain sayings but i think a lot of people would agree in that we'd almost rather have safeties who you sort of struggle to remember their names because they're just consistent, doing their job in coverage. You know, ideally, if you're a defensive back and, and you're playing the, the coverage game specifically, uh, you're never even having to, to break it up or anything else because you're causing the quarterback to, to not even look that way into, into your zone or into your coverage or, uh, you know, whatever else. So it's you know, like OU fans know with, with uh, Buki specifically, if, if you're really talking about one of your safeties all the time, it's probably not a good thing because one, either your entire defensive system is failing and your safety is constantly involved in having to make a play uh, where they're a star player. But, you know, by the point where your safety is having to make a play, it's probably already a first down anyways, or your safety is just doing the craziest stuff um, in plays where he's having to potentially make the play because your entire system has failed, which was sort of the Buki situation was, the, the last link in the chain also failing or the last line of defense was also failing after every other line had already failed. I think that's a good analogy for the Buki situation. But You make a really good point because let's not th forget the name safety. Like say it out loud. We keep on saying it because we've been saying it for years and we're football junkies. The word safety means in case of emergency or like, like you don't need it like ur urgently. You just kind of have it. Like a safety doesn't need to be a pivotal part of your defense. It needs to be there to clean up and, you know, make sure your edges are clean. Uh, so 
safeties, you know, are great. We've seen great ones, you know, become big time NFL players. But you look at, you know, the NFL draft and mock drafts, like safeties aren't guys that go, they don't go too high because they're not different makers. You know, we talk about Jamal Adams is a guy who went really high in the NFL draft, but like, you know, you can do without a really big safety. Um, Kyle Hamilton's the big name coming out of Notre Dame this year, but even though he might've been one of the most top two, three talented guys in the college um, football last year, he's probably going to be near the, you know, the eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 range. Like safety should not be that pivotal spot, but having talent back there, just in case there is something that goes bad, because with a new defensive scheme coming, it's going to happen. There's no if about it. It's going to happen because there's going to be a learning curve here. Having skillful guys like a leader in Key Lawrence and then an extreme athlete is Billy Bowman makes me feel a lot better. Yeah, ultimately, you know, having the best safety, you want to have the best safeties, but having the best safeties is like having the best homeowners insurance, which you also want to have, but you never want to be talking about it all the time. You never want to be like, yeah, my homeowners insurance is great. Past four times my house has burned down. They've paid for a new one. Maybe you should just make sure that your house stops burning down you know, but it's going to happen if, well, you know, hopefully your house doesn't burn down. I was worried about this analogy, but it's actually pretty good. Yeah. Safeties are going to, they're going to get engaged eventually, you know, but you, you want to have the best ones, but you never want to be, whether they're good or bad, it's indicative of a, a greater problem, you know, when they, when they're in action, it's like having the best fire extinguisher, the best, you know, airbags in your car or whatever else you, you got to, you know, don't fight the symptoms, fight the uh, the root cause is sort of thing with the safeties. Mm-hmm. Good old preventative medicine. But uh, moving on to our special team groups, you would think Billy Bowman is going to get some more run in the return game at kickoff return. I'm curious to see who's going to be next to him. Uh, we had seen Eric Gray in the past, but with him being RB1, uh, I would not expect him to be back there. Um I, I really just kind of shooting. I wouldn't be surprised if it's like a Javante Barnes um plays back there as well uh punt return um it's gonna be a new new um mindset uh, what we have done in the past was marvin mims or the best wide receiver the best hands like a drake stoops would be back there but are we gonna put back someone back there that's more electric and not as a for sure hands catcher that can just make the catch and make a couple of jukes and get you eight yards and then our kicker um new kicker no gabe burkich so schmidt the fake gabe burkich that came through last year um, whenever Burkich slept through his alarm. He's here. Looked like he was pretty good whenever he kicked Michael Turk coming back for his super senior season. Um, obviously, everyone loves, loves Michael Kirk, um, Turk. And then, um, I'm not, I mean, Casey Kelleher, the long snapper. Uh, so, uh, I mean, I guess really, I guess, do you can you think of anyone else in that kickoff return game that you would like back there that, other than kind of Javante Barnes and Billy Bowman? Because I think that's my my favorite two that I put back there. I almost feel like you know, knock on wood, because I, I but I think it's a fair assessment to say that we're probably going to see some situations where we have some leeway to experiment this season. Uh, you know, specifically some situations where we're up a couple points and, and we can start to play around and. And like we talked about much earlier in the podcast, there's a lot of freshman depth. There's a lot of young depth, young talent in our receiver room right now. And I think there's going to be a lot of potential for a lot of younger guys to, to sort of get plugged in and get some real game experience uh, in that kick return spot. And I think there's a, 
we're going to see a lot of names and and I hope I think it's a you know a logical thing to do. I would expect that we see maybe a little bit less Drake Stoops back there kick returning, which ties into a, an earlier take of mine about I expect him to be a firm, you know, probably number two receiver, and and I expect us to to start giving him you know his rest there on the kick. He was a a constant uh, kick and punt returner for us last year and the year before, but I, I expect with him sort of moving up and having some younger guys that we maybe see some, some new names down there, because I feel like that's a good spot to, to sort of play around and, and test guys. Cause ultimately, you know, it's, it's sometimes a, a different animal to, to catch a, a punt or return a kick, but it is in most cases, you know, barring onsides or, or weird squibs or whatever else, it's much easier to catch a punt or a kick where you're standing there and you have all the time in the world to look up at it than it is to catch, you know, like a deep fade in the corner of the end zone for a game-winning touchdown. So I would like to see us play around with some of our younger guys. You know, I, I'm saying I expect it. It's more I, I hope we do. I think it's a logical thing, and it's because it's a uh, kick returns can be high risk, but – if you can't perform at the special team side, uh, you're definitely not going to be able to perform as a, a full-on receiver. So I think yeah. hopefully some of our, our younger guys, you know, maybe hopefully uh, some Nick Anderson kick returns is his big brother. That, uh, Rodney as a, a running back was a, uh, a pretty perennial returner for us. I don't know about that. I don't think Nick, Nick is a very different breed than Rodney is. He's a lot taller, um, but you never know. I won't, I won't say never, but um, he might be more of a possession wide receiver than our playmaker in the kickoff. But yeah, uh, I think they'll be definitely interesting. We kind of talked in our past pods about taking the kickoff versus not and how Lincoln restricted that. We'll kind of see, but you know, with it being the spring game, they're going to return it. And actually, wait, do they even have kickoffs in the spring game? I don't even know how Brent Venables is going to set it up. So we'll see. I wouldn't be surprised if there's no kickoffs. So just kind of a thought for moving forward. Um, I guess kind of one quick note from my end, I'll get, um, give you the floor for a one quick note from your end before we end this pod. Um, I kind of mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, spring game is always big for recruiting. There's going to be plenty of recruits in there, but we're not going to see eyeballs. We're not going to see locks or any of these things on Twitter. Um, but if anything big happens in terms of targets and, uh, you know, guys getting in that we didn't think we're going to get in kind of, you know, uh, become high on the OU's list. I'll talk about that next week. Um, but one name that it looks like that um, TFB was talking about that's going to make it in that's a big-time OU target at the defensive line position is Jordan Raynaud. He is out of Tyler, Texas, and he's a high-end four-star and looks like he is coming in and is very high on OU, and OU is very high on him. So that's another big-time name, another defensive lineman that is very highly thought of that is – high on OU's list, something that we haven't heard from a long time. You know, we're big on David Stone. We're hoping about him um, at the 24 side, and he's going to be in there as well. So we're starting to see before our eyes here, OU recruiting some defensive players now and getting some legitimacy now that we have Jay Valet at the cornerback position, Todd Bates at the defensive line, and you know, Brent Venable is a guy who's been very well known to be a great defender, um, defensive coordinator. Um, as our head coach. So uh, anything um, elsewise, just spring game that you want to talk about, Ty? No, no. uh, You know, we kind of, we kind of jumped into, and I think that's the nature of the spring game is 
is just sort of position expectations for the coming season. Like we talked about, you know, with kick return and then quarterbacks not being able to be hit and running backs and not being able to go full out and, and everything else. It's, it's not a perfect, you know, indication of the season. So don't buy into too much, but like we saw last year, Caleb Williams was the most impressive quarterback in that spring mm-hmm. game. And then we saw how it ended up. So there definitely are some lessons to be learned um, in terms of recruiting. I, I think the more I've thought about it, I think the Venables way probably makes more sense because it's just in trying to get people to commit during the spring game, maybe in the college football ecosystem 10 years ago made sense or, or before that, but there's just so much more movement nowadays even with recruits and I'm, you know, the, the transfer portal and everything else, once you're already playing is a, a whole different beast, but um, some people will have very strong opinions on, you know, uh, how people feel about commitments to things and everything else nowadays. But it's a, it's a fact that you can go look at or go find the numbers or the articles yourself that, that show this, but it's a fact now that there's a lot more movement uh with guys that have already committed somewhere because of this big push in college football in the past decade or so to just get people to commit earlier and earlier and earlier. And it just doesn't make sense, you know, because people are going to continue to explore their options and and the, the nature of college football now with the NIL and everything else and the, the ways that schools can recruit now and the things that they can say to people have changed and, and it's just becoming more competitive. There's more money in it. There's more donor money in it. There's more interest in it and in, in recruiting and recruiting. Well, there's just so much stuff being thrown at these kids that, you know, it's, it's crazy and, and you really can't expect one to make a decision. So I know a lot of people are down on us not taking commitments like we were before and, and not expecting people to commit at the spring game. And like you said, no, no more eyeballs at the spring game, but I, I don't know if it's really going to make a, a big difference because like we, I think you had mentioned this earlier, Jamison and one of the earlier podcasts is we had that, that last year's spring game specifically where we had just had a ton of eyeballs, a ton of, of verbal commits or, or lean commits and stuff. And then just nothing materialized of it. So, you know, I don't know that it's as big of a deal as, as people are buying into it's, it's one of those, you know, new things are, are scary type things, but I, I think, the the future will bear out whether or not it was the right decision, but I, I don't know that we can say it's a bad decision or someone being behind the curve. I think that's been a big talking point is, is people thinking that Venables is sort of behind the curve uh, when it comes to recruiting. And I think a lot of that is coming from the fact that, uh, you know, the Clemson program he came from is much more traditionalist and, and people are expecting that to not be able to survive in the way that it does. But I, I don't know that we're behind the curve with this specific thing when it comes to recruiting in the spring game. But, uh, you know, who knows what the future holds. Yeah, I think it's actually a good thing that we're going to be um, not trying to take commitments this early because NIL deals and bagman are going to be hitting even harder now and last second changes are going to hurt. So, this is going to be a sprint come December um, in terms of, you know, signing these kids uh, in April, not so much. It's just developing relationships. But if you do end up seeing commits that come from this weekend, you know, that these kids are real ones and getting in the boat, you know, almost eight months out from signing day is a huge, huge deal. So 
um, they will probably be guys that will be in our class for a long time. Um, so uh, no one's going to be really uh, thinking that they are a decommitment threat because they're not allowed to take any other visits. So just a thought process if you do see any commits coming out of this weekend. But my guess is we'll continue to get guys that are very high on us and we'll get some more names and they will be up on our list and they'll we'll be up on their list and it'll be all good. But other than that, uh, I think we went through everything really well. It was a little bit of a longer podcast, but that's because it's a spring game and you guys need to hear this information. Obviously, I suggest y'all with it being spring game, if y'all do go, even though you just heard all these names, I always just watch and I'm like, who the heck is that? Because I don't know any of the numbers yet. Make sure you pull up the, um, you know, the directory of all the numbers on your phone. I'm pretty sure they have them on the QR code next to your seats. Pull that up because that really helps to figure out who's who out there because you're kind of a little bit rusty and there's so many new names. Um, but other than that, everyone enjoy it. If you're going to the game, I'm very, very sad that I'm not. Um, this will be a lot of fun. And we will talk to you all next week as we recap and take away the Easter eggs and the findings from this spring game. And did we figure out anything in particular that might show us some, you know, light of how we're going to be a football team moving into this new season with a new coach. Um, so for me and Ty, and then now Bobby, who's off this podcast, this was the Schooner Pod. And everyone have fun this coming weekend.